My name is Topher. I am the Connections Pastor here at Area 10. And I want to ask you guys, um, is anyone a fan of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Like, okay, and I'm not talking about the Johnny Depp version. I'm talking about the one with Gene Wilder where he's like a sociopath. You know, that one where it's like, it's, so there's, there's the scene in the 1971 film that I think if you were around my age was like terrifying. It's when they're on the boat and like, you know, they just leave the whole chocolate garden area and they get on this boat and the kids are there and the lights are flashing red and orange and blue and white and and Gene Wilder's character just is creepy as all get out and he starts saying words like not a speck of light is showing so the danger must be growing are the fires a hell of glowing is the grizzly reaper mowing this is a kids film I'm not kidding. I think that uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was a better parenting tool than most of what my parents did when I was a child. Because that movie scared the you-know-what out of me. I would see, you know, all these kids, you know, that would disobey or not do what they were supposed to, not listen, and make it all about them, and bad things would happen. And so that was in my brain. And I think most of us can probably remember the kids in this movie, or if you've read Ronald Dahl's book, the, the books, you've got... You've got Charlie, who's the nice kid. I mean, he's, he's not perfect, but he's certainly not a terrible child. There was Augustus Glute, who, you know, falls into the chocolate river. Um, you had Violet Beauregard, you know, you're turning Violet, Violet. That turns into a giant blueberry for ignoring the warnings from Willy Wonka. You had Mike TV, who was a little screen-obsessed monsters, and I think all of us know some screen-obsessed monsters. I won. Um, and he gets sucked into the TV and he can't get out because he didn't listen. And then you had uh, Veruca Salt, who I think kind of sums up all of the kids in this entire movie. And she sings the song called, I Want It Now. And you might remember some of this song. So I want to I read to you some of the lyrics. And I'm going to do my best not to sing it, but it's really hard for some reason because I naturally want to sing it. I want the world. I want the whole world. See, I'm telling you. I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. Like, that's her mentality. I want today. I want tomorrow. I want to wear them like braids in my hair. I don't want to share them. I want a party with roomfuls of laughter. Ten. And then she stops talking because she falls through a trap door into the abyss towards a furnace. This is what I'm talking about. You want to train your children? Set them in front of that movie and let them watch that over and over and over again. They'll be scared of everything. Here's what I think about today. I think that that is a particular mantra that exists of I want it now. It seems to be one of the driving forces in our culture. We want immediate gratification. We want things to be simple, requiring no effort. We want what we want and exactly how we want it. And if it doesn't happen that way, we get a little bent out of shape. We seek out convenience no matter the cost. And there's a general sense of entitlement that has developed because of our freedom. And so when someone tells us no or that we can't, our insides want to gear up for a fight and we begin to act a little bit like the kids in Willy Wonka. Today we're continuing our message series called Common Sense. And this morning we're going to focus in on one main idea and that's of saving. What the Bible teaches about money really isn't that difficult to understand. But to put it in practice uh, is pretty challenging. Why? I think it's because of our behavior. As humans, we sometimes do foolish things. 
And then when we do those foolish things, oftentimes we want to try and blame other people for our foolish actions to make ourselves feel better. And the rest of the time, we're trying our hardest not to do foolish things. Sometimes we just make bad decisions, and it's oftentimes because our habits and our priorities are a little out of whack. The question I want us to wrestle with this morning is what behaviors do we need to examine in order to get our finances in line with God's way of handling money? By a show of hands, no judgment at all, how many of us in this room, at some point in your life, has done something stupid with money? Okay, for those of you not raising your hands, (coughs) come on, we all have at some point, we've all made like an impulse purchase that we know we probably shouldn't have done, or we didn't plan ahead accordingly. And there's lots of different reasons for our behaviors when it comes to saving and giving, or our lack of saving and our lack of giving. Maybe... You didn't grow up in a family where that was taught. Maybe you grew up in a family where the mentality was, if you got it, you spend it. No need to hold on to it. Or maybe you've bought into the conversation that exists in our culture now with every advertisement that we see online or on TV or on the radio or in in magazines that says, if you want it, buy it, even if you can't afford it. I think for some of us, we might have grown up in a way that we did actually learn the importance of saving and giving, but then we became adults, and they don't always tell you how hard it is to be an adult sometimes, because life happens, right? And there are seasons when it seems like you're barely being able to make it from paycheck to paycheck, and everything is this survival mentality more than anything else. Chris has spoken over these last few weeks, and he has brought up this one key idea in every message, and I want to make sure we still understand, that, understand this. Money is a heart issue. And when we unpack that, I think that all of us can discover that there are things that we need to learn or be reminded of, of how God speaks about handling our wealth, no matter how much or how little you have. And the foundational thing I want us to keep in mind this morning is discipline. No one likes discipline. We didn't like to be disciplined when we were kids. When someone tries to discipline us now, we don't want it. If our boss is trying to tell us something or if someone's trying to give us accountability that we didn't ask for, we get tense and we want to fight back. It's just as difficult to develop disciplines for ourselves, to develop those new habits that ultimately bring freedom. The author of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says this in Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Our behavior, the disciplines we cultivate, can either assist us in our life or destroy us. And in many ways, our behaviors and disciplines we cultivate speak to the obedience we have to the direction that God has given us. So why save money? Well, it matters. It helps us plan for the future. As Miriam Caldwell said, we save money to meet future needs, expected and unexpected, our own needs and the needs of others. Money Magazine says 78% of us are going to have a major negative financial event in any given 10-year period of time. Good news, guys. We're all going to go, oh, no. We're going to have a job layoff, a car wreck, various medical expenses. Something's going to happen where you're going to need money. And we all know this to be true. I told the first service who was here, I have seen some of your cars and you have that bumper sticker that says, expletive happens. Because it does. Life happens. 
And there's a lot of unexpected things that happen in life. In the past three months, just in my own life, we've had a tree fall on our home, our AC unit went out and had to be replaced, and I've had various medical things pop up, all requiring money. I talk to a lot of you on a, on a fairly regular basis, and I don't know just in the past few weeks, there's been job layoffs, there's been the cost of sending your kid to camp because the childcare that you thought you had secured for your kid for the summer fell through. There's been fires at some of your homes. There's been medical things. There's been blown out tires and brakes that need to be replaced. We can't stop from life happening to us. But when we've developed the habit and discipline of saving, it mitigates that stress and pain of those unexpected events and costs. The Bible says in Proverbs 21.20, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Listen, it's, it's really simple. Wise people save money. We see that repeated throughout Scripture, not just in this verse, but truly throughout Scripture. Wise people save money. If we spend everything we make we're not making wise choices. And I think that's hard for a lot of us, isn't it? Because, let's be honest, spending money is kind of fun. But if you spend everything you have, it will be impossible to be prepared for the unexpected. Or worse, if you spend more than you have, not only are you unprepared for the unexpected, but you're also trying to dig yourself out of a hole. And it's so exhausting. And I know that there are some of us in this room that know what that's like. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Dave Ramsey, the creator of Financial Peace University, which we've talked about numerous times at A10, uh, he talks about learning a particular lesson from this verse when he teaches about uh, money management, and specifically about when he was at one of his lowest points. He states he, he, he was reminded that he needed to pull up his big boy pants and do what scripture was telling him to do. He said he felt that God was telling them it's time to mature in your faith and actually take control of what you're supposed to take control of. And then he speaks to his reader or in his audience. As you work and God provides you with income, he expects you to pay your taxes, he, to give to his work and meet your present needs. But there is more. He expects you to set some of this aside to prepare for upcoming needs when income will not be adequate or available. It is biblical and wise to set aside resources today for things tomorrow, such as a car, an education, the down payment or full payment of a house, medical bills, to help others in need, or simply the reality of old age when you won't be able to work in the same way that you're working now. Throughout the Bible, we see these verses and stories about our responsibility with money. Our possessions, our money should not be controlling us. In our obedience to Christ, it's supposed to be the other way around. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, which, by the way, sidebar, we should totally bring that word sluggard back into the lexicon. Like, it's a good one. It feels super offensive, though. Like, go to the ant, you sluggard. Like, it's just so, like, Arr. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Considers its, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Before the Industrial Revolution, the majority of the known world was an agrarian society, meaning that it lived off the land. 
After the Industrial Revolution and the various technological advancements that have come since then, what we've seen is that that world has, has gotten smaller and smaller, and cities have increasingly become larger and larger. Here's the thing. It's hard to find agrarian societies anymore. You have to go to a developing nation or a tribal nation, or maybe if you go to like a true farming community. But what will happen is that if you go there, if you're living in an agrarian society, you don't need someone to tell you, hey, you know what? You should save and plan for the future. You already know that to be true. Because you know that there are going to be times when the rain doesn't come and your plants don't grow. You know that there's going to be times when your livestock is stolen or killed. You're going to, you know that disaster could strike at any time. And if you haven't thought ahead to plan and prepare, then that, that means your entire existence could be over. One of the things that has been lost in our advancement in the act, is that actual necessity of survival. We don't have that anymore. Our idea of survival is making sure we pay our electric bill and making sure we have enough money to go through Starbucks or to go to Chipotle. We don't grow our own food anymore. We go to Kroger or Wegmans. We don't know what it's like to have our very existence dependent on us planning and saving for the future. We live in a time of convenience and immediate gratification, and if we're honest, credit. And we've convinced ourselves that our survival, our kids' survival, our great-grandkids' survival, even our community survival, doesn't require us to plan and save. And you know, to be fair, maybe it doesn't completely or doesn't as much, but how much more freedom could we have if we actually did save and plan for the future? How much less stress would we have if when something unexpected happens, we knew that we were going to be able to take care of it? How much more fun is it to be able to be a generous person simply because you can? How fewer fights would we have with our loved ones about money because we know that we're on the same page and we've been obedient in our stewardship of the things God has entrusted us with? But we can't get there if we're unwilling to change our behavior. In a recent study, it found that the median savings account balance across American households is $4,830. And when you have a median balance, that means it's, it's lower than the actual average. So most people are making well below the average in America. In fact, in a separate study done by the U.S. Commerce Department, it was found that 58% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings, which means if this room is a correct reflection of our country, more than half of us have less than $1,000 in our savings. And some of you are going, yeah, no kidding. $1,000 doesn't get you very far anymore, does it? I mean, that's, that's less than most of our mortgages or rents. I want to ask the question, why is it so hard to save money? But I, I really think we all know the answer. It's because it's so easy it's, and it's fun. It's easy to go to Starbucks, especially now that so many of them have drive throughs I mean, it's like you go, yes, I will have a Grande Megan Dragon Fruit Refresher. And you know what? Yeah, I think I will have a turkey bacon sandwich. Nine twenty-two, no problem. Here's $2 tip. I didn't plan for that, but I got it. It's easy when you're on vacation. My family went to Disney World as a hurrah, you're not working retail anymore last year. And we budgeted everything. Do you know what happens oftentimes when you go on vacation, even if you have a budget? That budget doesn't exist anymore once you get there. 
It's like, oh, well, we totally need to buy that picture. We totally need to do this experience. What if we don't get to come back here again? This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And we begin to justify and talk ourselves into why we need the newest clothes, why we need the newest gadget, why we need to have the most expensive food, why we need to go to have the most expensive restaurants. I, I get it. It's fun. It's fun to go out with your friends and family to eat out. It's fun to be able to have the convenience of having someone else make you a coffee drink that, quite frankly, you have no idea how to make. I get it. I get it. But we can't save it if we spend it. Repeat after me, please. We can't save it if we spend it. Once more with feeling. We can't save it if we spend it. Drill that into your head. The problem is not how much we earn. The problem is how much we spend. And it comes back to our behavior. Recently, a report came out that in 2018, we Americans, prepare yourselves, spent 177 billion, with a B, dollars on convenience services. Convenience services are things that you know you can do yourself, but you're paying someone else to do. It's things like Grubhub, which, pause real quick. If you are using Grubhub to pick up Taco Bell, I am judging you so hard. That's gross on so many levels. Anyway, so it's, it's, different, it's different convenience industries. It's Grubhub, it's DoorDash, dog walkers and groomers, ride share services, scooter share services, now that we have that in Richmond, cleaning services, meal subscriptions, $177 billion in one year. That is more than the GDP of most nations in the entire world. Now, I'm not knocking convenience services. I get it. I use them. There's a time and a place for that. But when you start to look at your checking account and you notice that you've spent $1,000 on convenience services and yet you have no money in your savings, there might be a problem. You want to know one of the most uh, eye-opening exercises you could do? It's not planks or burpees. It's a different kind of exercise. It's keeping track of everything you spend for a month. Every dollar that you spend, you were writing down exactly how much it was and where it was at. I had a friend of mine do this in Southern California. He took the Financial Peace University courses, and Southern California is an expensive place to live. His take-home each month was about $2,000, which does not get you very far in Southern California. But he was very committed, and he was dedicated because he wanted to have financial freedom. He wanted to be able to save for the future. He wanted to not be in debt. So he took the homework very seriously, and he tracked everything. And he gave me permission to share some of the things that he found. In that month, he saw that he spent $160 on coffee drinks. He spent over $350 eating out. He was paying $200 a month for the newest iPhone and various mobile services, and $220 on a cable subscription with sports add-on package. Just with those things, $930 of his income, gone. And it's easy for people to hear that and go, oh my gosh, $160 on coffee drinks? And then there's other people that are going, he only spent $160 on coffee drinks? I gave my wife a hard time during the first service because that's, that's an ongoing conversation in our household. <laughs> Whereas I like to eat out, she likes to drink coffee. It's a terrible, you know, combination. It's easy for us to take a step back and go, oh, I, I, I mean, I don't spend that much doing that. Don't you, though? If you're not keeping track of it, how do you know? And maybe for you, it's not coffee. Maybe for you, it's, it's downloading albums. 
And you've sp- I, I have a friend that goes to our church who's spent easily $200 a month on just downloading new music. All of us spend money on things that we don't necessarily need, but we want, and oftentimes we lack the self-control and good judgment and wisdom to pump the brakes for a minute and say, is this something that I should get right now, or is it something I need to save for at a later time? Let's do some quick math real quick. I'm not great at math, so I made sure to use a calculator and to make sure I'm not, you know, spouting lies or anything. Let's say you cut out one trip a week to the coffee shop each week. And each of your trips to the coffee shop are usually about $5 each. And that's on the low end, I think, for some of us. And let's say you don't have the newest phone, so instead of a $130 a month bill, your bill is dropped to about $80. And let's say instead of paying a dog groomer $40, you wash the dog. And instead of that premier cable package plus the various streaming services that total about $250 a month, you just have internet and one streaming service that cost a total of $90. And instead of a brand new car with a car payment of $450, which is right now the average car payment amount in America, you drive a not as great car for a while so that you only have to pay for gas. That would save you $600 a month or $7,200 a year. And that's just one scenario. I have seen friends go from tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt to thousands of dollars in savings in a few years' time. And they're completely different people because of it. That weight is lifted off them. But they developed that behavior. They developed that discipline. Instead of going out to eat so much, they still went out to eat, but not as often. They began to cook more. Instead of new cars... They got older cars. They could get them from point A to point B. Instead of the newest gadget, they got three or four generations behind the newest models. Instead of cable and every streaming service known to man, they went to internet and one streaming service. The problem is not with how much we earn. The problem is how much we spend. Saving matters. It allows us to be prepared for the future. But there is a tension in Scripture that exists that we need to make sure that we're aware of. Being good stewards with everything we have We also need to understand verses like Matthew verses 6, 19 through 21, when Jesus is teaching about uh, not storing up our treasures in heaven. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he continues on with the same kind of verbiage. And we pick back up at verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. There are people that will read these verses, and they will use these verses as an excuse as to why they don't save money and why they don't plan for the future. I want to be gentle in how I say this. That's a terrible idea. Because that's not what the scriptures are saying. That's not what Jesus is teaching. There's two things we need to keep in mind specifically with with these verses that Jesus is talking about. The first is Jesus is very much talking about where we place our trust and who is running our lives. At that time, you had people that didn't have much and you had people that had a ton of wealth. It's not that different than today. And oftentimes what happens that we still see today is that people will make their money and their finances their God. And that is who they put their trust in. This is what Jesus is primarily speaking to. This idea of you don't need to stress. It's that prayer of, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. God is going to take care of us. And he wants people to understand your trust shouldn't be in your money. 
Your trust shouldn't be in what you own or what you have because everything that we own, everything that we have is a gift from God. And that's a hard reality to understand. So he is trying to help people understand this. The other thing that we need to get from these, uh, these passages is the context of who Jesus is actually talking to. The people that Jesus is talking to live in an agrarian society. They don't need to be told and reminded at this point in their lives to plan and save for the future because that's already a part of their life. That's something that they already know to do. We have to understand and get to this point that it's a balance. And it is a tension, but it's finding how to balance planning and saving for the future and through it all trusting God to take care of you no matter what. That your trust doesn't come in your savings account. It doesn't come from planning. It comes in the fact of being obedient to Christ and the things that he has entrusted you with. David Platt wrote a book called Radical. And if you're ever looking for a book to challenge your philosophical mindset of the American dream, read it. It will challenge you in a lot of ways. He has a chapter entitled, How Much is Enough?, and he asks several questions. He, he says, if we have savings, where is the line between responsible saving, which the Bible certainly advocates, and irresponsible hoarding, which the Bible clearly condemns? How does all of this affect the way we approach investments, retirement accounts, or life insurance? How much is wise to save for potential future need when brothers and sisters around me, as well as those who have never even heard the gospel, are threatened by present dire situations? Here's the thing that David Platt likes to do. He likes to ask a lot of questions and then not give answers. Instead, he encourages us to ask the questions and let those questions drive us to Christ. Ultimately landing at one very important question. How do you want me to live? If money is a heart issue, then we need to be able to seriously ask the questions, how much is enough? How much should I save? But most importantly, how does God want me to live with the things that he has entrusted me with? And is my trust in my plan, what I have, what I have saved, or is my trust on him, the author and perfecter of faith? Let me tell you about Osceola McCarty. Some of you may have heard that name before and you don't know why, Osceola was a young girl who grew up in a very segregated Hattiesburg, Mississippi, when uh, segregation and racism was probably at its peak. She grew up in such a way um, that she didn't have a lot of money, her family didn't have a lot of money, but her mother, from a very young age, began to teach her, when you get paid, when you have money, you give and you save, and then you deal with the rest. You give and you save. From a very young age, that is what she learned. She had to quit school in the sixth grade to care for an ill relative, and she was never had the opportunity to go back. Instead, she spent the next 74 years of her life doing menial work, such as simply washing clothes and ironing for people. She never married, never owned a car, got rides to church every Sunday, and most of us would never have heard of her name, except for the fact that around 1993, she contacted a lawyer to say, I have been saving money, and I want to do something with it. 
And so she decided to give $150,000 to provide scholarships for students who had dealt with segregation to the University of Southern Mississippi, a school that wouldn't have even admitted her at the peak of segregation. She said, I'm too old to get an education, but they still can. And then she was asked, knowing how little money that she made each paycheck, each week, she was asked how she was able to save so much money on such a low income. And she said, it wasn't hard. I just didn't buy things I didn't need. The Lord helped me, and he'll help you too. That's the balance. It's understanding and taking a step back, changing our behavior, developing that discipline to realize that God has entrusted us with more than I think we understand. And we have a responsibility to save and plan for the future. But even if everything goes sideways, God is still going to provide for us. And he will still walk with us every step of the way. Our culture encourages us and enables us to act like the kids from Willy Wonka. We are encouraged to have that behavior of, I want it now. It's a challenge to surrender this area to Christ. And it's a challenge because it's a discipline that many of us simply have not taken the time to cultivate. And so I hope that I could challenge you to cultivate that. I want to give you three easy challenges for this week. I think they're easy. Maybe they're not easy. The first one is for one week, starting tomorrow. I'm not going to ask you to do it for the entire month. But for one week, starting tomorrow, track every dollar you spend. If you're married, if you have kids that also spend your money, which if you have kids, you know they spend your money, track everything. And at the end of, your, at the, end of the week, compile all of that so that you could really see where your money is going. And I'm going to bet that most of us will be pretty shocked and surprised at how much money we waste simply out of convenience, simply because we'd rather give in to our immediate want rather than a future need. So that's the first thing. Track your finances for a week starting tomorrow. The second thing is I'd encourage you to check out Financial Peace University. We're going to be offering that course starting in April, and I would really encourage you to sign up. Uh, that link that, for that class is going to go live on Wednesday. There are many people in our church at A10 that have already gone through Financial Peace University. It's a multi-week course, and all of them can speak to the effect that it has had on their lives. If you were here last week, you already heard one story. But it's amazing the difference in people when they go through this course to understand what it means to have financial freedom and to be good stewards with everything we have. So the first thing, track your money all week. The second thing, learn more about Financial Peace University. And if you go to A10, I would encourage you to sign up for those classes that are going to start in August. And the last thing is, in your spare time when you're bored, and you know that all of us have spare time and boredom, I would encourage you to look up the story of Osceola McCarty. It's fascinating. She did interviews with Oprah and David Letterman and Tom Brokaw, newspapers. There's so many different articles and videos of her story and how she got to that point where she was able to do such a profound thing that I really and truly think it would be a challenge and an encouragement to all of us. Lastly, I simply want to leave us with Hebrews 12:11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let's pray. 
Holy God, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. You are the one that provides. You are Jehovah Jireh. God, we thank you for your provision. And I thank you so much for this church. And God, I pray more than anything that it is you who continues to guide us, that your spirit would convict us, that we would understand the responsibility that we have with the things that you have entrusted to us. That we would not look at planning and saving for the future as a mundane task, but as preparation for when sometimes life just goes sideways. Lord, I pray that you would help us be more generous and just a generous people. Lord, it is because of your sacrifice that we are able to gather here today, and we are so grateful for that. Help us to be good stewards. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.